You know, dear friends, I thought, oh, we must get on to chapter 9. We're not. Do you mind if we just carry on listening to the Lord and thinking, Lord, what were you talking about? What does it mean in chapter 8? Do you mind if we just meander slowly? Good. Thank you. Um, because I don't think the things that the Lord is saying here, they're not easy actually, but they don't need to be glossed over. It doesn't do us any harm to wait with Him and wonder and think and stay in His presence and listen to His voice. Um, <laughs> you know, I would like to suggest that our approach isn't bigoted, or we're the only ones right. Uh, we simply want to be attentive. Isn't that right? Um, Lord, what is it you're saying? I don't want a gloss. I don't want uh, an easy, unrepresentative answer. Can we just listen to you, Lord Jesus, and uh, be attentive to your word? And if that makes me sound a little bit contradictory, I don't really care. Um, which isn't the same as being bigoted and I'm the only one that's right. It's like saying, Lord, thou art the only one that's right. Can we discover what your mind is? And I believe that he's given us the means to do that. He's written his word and he's sent the Holy Ghost to instruct us. Why shouldn't we be those who are listeners, hearers, and then doers? Isn't that our prerogative? Isn't that our inheritance? Isn't it our duty um, to be those who listen to Jesus? There's nothing else, actually. Um, there was a little book once written. It was a, a novel. Nice woman. Nothing else matters. That's what Paul had to say in Philippians. This one thing I do. Get that right, and you can let the Lord, the King, the Master, the Ruler, take care of all the details of our lives. This one thing I do. I press toward the mark. So, let's look, please, in the 8th chapter of John. <clears throat> and we'll perhaps not read very many verses. We'll take a small chunk and see how we go. We're still at the Feast of Tabernacles. We're still um, about six months out from that last Passover when Jesus was offered for the sin of the world. We're about six months out of there. Uh, at this Feast of Tabernacles, it's great that it was the end of their festival year, their religious year. We'd already had, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink that great day of the feast. And then we had the next day, or later the same day, um, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And we're in the same era, and Jesus is in the temple, and he's been speaking to them, and some of the Jews began to believe, and he warned them against him, themselves. He said, if you continue in my word, if you continue in my word, if you remain in my word, then you're the real deal. Verse 30 of chapter 8. As Jesus said all this, many Jews believed in him. This party that was out and resisting him, they started to turn. It's kind of a last opportunity. Um, the last time he was going to be with them, speaking to them, gathered as the Jewish people before 
that fateful later Passover. And many of them start to believe. And he said, watch it. He didn't say watch it, but I'm suggesting to you, he was warning them against themselves. If you continue in my word, you are my disciples truly. That's a good thing. And you'll know the truth. That's what's coming. This truth that you've been hearing a little bit of, you're going to know it. And when you know it for real, it'll set you free. It'll change your life. It'll make you completely different. Something you've never ever been before. He was foretelling the baptism of the Holy Ghost, as he was in chapter 7. This spake he of the Spirit, which was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He had to, come, he had to consummate the perfect life. He had to offer the perfect sacrifice and go back to the Father and present the blood to him and say here is humanity clean you can send the Holy Ghost now Father this and we have that in chapter 2 of Acts this uh, is what Jesus has shed forth from the Father's presence Okay, and that's where we got to last time Um, and you'll know the truth it'll make you free verse 33 crunch these believing Jews they started to open their hearts and already, we be Abraham's children. They start to resist him. They reply, we've never been anyone's slave. How can you say you'll become free? <clears throat> I'm telling you the solemn truth, replied Jesus. Everyone who commits sin is a slave. The bit of sin is a bit of a gloss. It's, it's true, Paul takes that up. But in this passage, um, you can choose either way. It doesn't make much difference to our sense. Everyone who commits sin is a slave. Well, hang on a minute. That's a domestic word. What were they meaning? We've never been, we the Abraham's descendants, we've never been anyone's slave. They were currently under occupation by a foreign power, Rome. Okay? They had previously, and they couldn't have forgotten this, been slaves in Egypt after Abraham. Abraham's children, the Jews, slaves in Egypt. They had previously been carried away um, into captivity by Babylon. They couldn't have forgotten about that. So it didn't mean that as a nation, we have never been slaves. It couldn't mean that, could it? Because... Obviously, they were. So what did they mean? Um, Can I read to you from Leviticus 25, briefly, please? Um, The Jews, uniquely among all the nations around them, we're talking about Philistines, we have the descendants of the Philistines, the Palestinians, the Philistines. Uh, All the pagan nations around them, they... If you fell on hard times and you sold yourself into slavery, God had forbidden this among the Jews. They were unique in that respect. We are Abrahamites. We've never been slaves. It's not permitted. Chapter 25 of Leviticus. Um, I'll just read it briefly to you. Uh, Here is what, here's the command. What verse are we in? 42. Well, we go from 39. 
He had a command from God to the Jews as he was giving them the law. If thy brother that dwelleth with thee be waxen poor, sorry, it's slightly old, if he grows poor, if he falls on hard times, if thy brother that dwells with thee be waxen poor and he be sold unto thee, thou shalt not compel him to serve as a bond servant or a slave. You're mine, you've already. Um, I'm taking your work now for the rest of your life or for the next 20 years as your debt. No wages. Thou shalt not do that. He's not to be your slave. But as an hired servant, you pay him your way, his wages. And as a sojourner, as a free individual among you, he shall be with thee and serve thee unto the year of Jubilee. It wasn't for life. In the year of Jubilee, they went free. Okay? This is what... What do you mean free? We are free. We're Abraham's children. We were not into this slavery thing. We've never been slaves. Uh, And interestingly, we'll just finish a couple of verses. He'll serve thee till the year of Jubilee, and then he shall depart from thee. You've got to let him go. Both he and his children with him, and shall return unto his own family, and unto the possession of his fathers shall he return. Thank you, Lord. For they are my servants. He's not your slave, he's my slave. Hmm. This is really, really important. We, let me just finish the bit. My servants, which I brought forth out of the land of Egypt, they shall not be sold as slaves, as bondmen. We have, <laughs> our, in our society, we all think we're free. And as we read what the Lord Jesus has to say in these next verses, we discover that that just isn't true. We are all the servants of some invisible one. And Jesus alludes to this. Um, and the whole point about humanity is that we are intended, God made us to be his slaves. That our liberty should be in slavery to him. So Paul says again and again and again, I am the slave of Jesus Christ. Um, uh, Jesus was the slave of God. He willingly served him. I do only the Father's will. He, he limited his activity on earth to doing the Father's will. He was the perfect servant. He willingly yielded up his freedom and served as a slave of the Father. I knew the Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That is a proper, that is the only proper articulation usage of humanity. Now, in our modern era, we have the fiction that we're all free agents and we're independent and do what we like. It is a fiction, it's a conceit, it is a deceit. It's not true. Paul says, know you not, to whom you yield yourself, your members, his servants you are to obey, whether of sin unto death, or of righteousness unto life. Thank you. <laughs> um, what is man? 
just outside, a heap of soil gathered together, dust. And God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into him and he became a living soul. When they were allowed to make an altar, what did they have to do? They weren't allowed to use any uh, tools to make an altar. They just had to gather some stones together. Uh, that's what man is, an altar. We're an altar to something. Just don't, don't you, you, it's just dust. An altar is just to be dust. Not a, not a worked up thing, not a beautiful bit of masonry, just a pile of old stones gathered together, awesome dust gathered together. That's your altar. That dust that is man. That's your altar. That's what man is, an altar. Unto what is your life an altar? Unto what are you and I serving? You understand? So let, let's go back. So the, I think that we could correctly understand that when they said, we're not, in, we've never been anyone's slaves, they were thinking of their civil and individual liberty. <clears throat> and Jesus takes up this very idea. Okay, which is why I spent a little bit of time looking at it. Okay. We're Abraham's descendants, they replied, never been anyone's slaves. We're the real deal, we're Jews, we're special, we're not like the other guys. So how can you say you'll become free? And Jesus said, everyone who commits sin is a slave. Look, you might be in the theocracy, but if sin has got anything in you, you are just a slave. Your status in the house of God. And we get this household idea coming through. The father versus your father. The head of the house of God versus your father, head of his own imposter, counterfeit house. It's coming up. <clears throat> so... The whole concept of sin having its claws in us and us yielding to sin makes us in the house of God, makes the, made the Jews to whom he was speaking, in the house of God, just slaves. No inheritance, not of the nature of the Father, just slave, just forced obedience. That's how we could read this. Um, I think that's going to help it make sense. They're not easy words. Um, anyone who commits sin is a slave. There's a contrast coming up. If you're not a slave in the house, the other thing is a it is the son, the son who inherits the house, the son who is of the nature of the father. He's part of the family, not forced, uh, extorted service, but I'm yours. I serve you for love. Different status. Everyone who commits sin is a slave. The slave doesn't live in the house forever. The slave's got no inheritance there. Uh, I'm 
talking about on the face of it. I know that faithful servants are all sorts of things, but on the face of it, the slave doesn't belong there. They're just a tool to do a job. They don't persist in the house. Their children aren't members of the household in the same way. They've got no inheritance. They're not of the nature of the household. The slave doesn't live in the house forever. And you Jews, uh, you might be in the house, but you're not going to stay there. This uh, slavery, because of your relationship to sin, means that you're passing away. You've got to move on. I'd like to look at Hebrews in a minute and, and see that again. The old covenant was part of the slavery. It came in, Paul says in, in Romans, the, the old covenant, the law was given that sin might become exceeding sinful, that they might wake up to the fact that there was a principle in their inner man that was working against God. And it was, it was temporary, it was passing away. The law came that sin might become exceeding sinful. Do you remember Paul saying that? It came, it came to reveal to them the corruption of their hearts. And it served to emphasize the fact that they weren't the right thing. But it's alright. It was passing away. It was never supposed to be there. They were never going to continue in that. God always promised, I will make a new covenant. There was going to be a rectification. In fact, the um, Hebrew writer uses that term. This, these things continued until the time of rectification, putting things right. So coming back to our passage. And the slave doesn't live in the house forever. The son lives there forever. So you see, if the son makes you free, you'll be truly free. We had that further up. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You guys, you might be in the house, but you're slaves. You're not the real deal. You're not what God wants you to be yet. So if the Son, who is what the Father wants you to be, Him to be, if He elevates you from slavery to sonship, you have you you remember phrases like we have received the adoption of sons. Yeah, elevated subject. If the sun shall make you free, you'll be free indeed. You'll be part of the household. In fact, we have in Peter the whole concept of we become partakers of the household nature. We become partakers of the divine nature. Do you remember that in Peter? We've become partakers. We're not slaves anymore. We're not, we, if the sun shall make you free, you become free indeed. We become partakers of the household spirit. The, the nature of God. Partakers of the divine nature. It was, you know, all the other stuff was temporary. It was all only supposed to be there as a holding thing to keep a limit on sin. It was supposed to be a schoolmaster, Paul said, to bring you to God. It was supposed to be there to demonstrate to you, Jews, and the rest of the world, what's in your heart. That sin might become exceeding sinful. It was supposed to be there to um, bring out and, exp- and expose to you the nature of your heart. So that, if the, you could come to the Son and let Him make you free, 
and be elevated, receive the adoption of sons, come into the new covenant. And Jesus, I think, is warning them. Um, listen to this. So you see, verse 37, I know you're Abraham's descendants. No argument there. This was really important for them. Um, they needed to make sure, because to the Jews, we had this with Nicodemus, if they were of the right stock, and if they kept the rule, circumcised on the eighth day, and they kept the rule, and they were of the right stock, they were descendants of Abraham, they could prove it. And they had masses and masses and masses of records, genealogical records, in Babylon. They carried them with them into captivity. They got stuck there in Babylon. So the bulk of the records of the nation's heredity was out there still in Babylon. So the, the eastern Jews, that was where the money was. So well, there's Jerusalem in the east was Babylon, where the money was, and in the west, Jerusalem, was Jerusalem where the authority was, and these guys who ran the religious scene, the Jerusalem Jews, depended on the eastern Babylonian Jews for support, income, money. They're, they're the guys, the ones that stayed back there were the ones that prospered. Anyway, Jesus said, I know that you're Abraham's sons. No argument with all your um, uh, heredity records. And he at once then annihilates the significance. Have a look. I know, Jesus went on, but you're trying to kill me because my word doesn't advance in you. You have has no place in you. The word is korea. Choreo, sorry, choreo. It's only used once in the New Testament in that place. It's, it means to advance, to change place, to advance. It's used of the flow of water. Movement onwards. It's used of the entrance of a dart. To advance, to pierce you. Go start and then goes right in. It's used of plants growing it's used of money invested and paying an income Jesus said you seek to kill me what do you mean? Hang on a minute. These were people who were believers. These were the many of the Jews that believed. And he said, you seek to kill me. Um, I think we can understand that they were Jews. They weren't yet out of the woods, as their response has shown them. Jesus warned them, mates, you're not out of the woods. If you persist in my word, then you're truly my disciples. You are already my real disciples if you persist. Next verse. How do you say where they wouldn't have his word? How do you say we're not free? Well, Abraham should. We've never been in bondage to anyone. So already in the instant they started to resile from true faith. And he said, You're trying to kill me. You, you're part of that party that are trying to kill me. And they had to they were gonna to have to choose. I they broke, they consummated their break with their countrymen the Jewish heart that says we're not going to have this Christ, he's not our Christ, he doesn't fit in, he doesn't fit our criteria he doesn't do what we want to do and crucifixion or they could get out of it you're trying to kill me, you guys what are you going to be, are you going to be a Jew or are you going to be one of mine are you going to be a Jew or are you going to be my disciple do you see the point? And why are you trying to kill me? Because my word isn't 
advancing India. He's not making progress. What? But we're believers. Yeah. And you're only, you're only my real believers if you let the word keep working. If you persist in my word. At the moment, you're trying to kill me because the word's not advancing in you. What does that sound like to you? By the way, we missed out. Can I go back? It's rather good. I think you'll like this. Um, Luke 15. You remember the prodigal son? There were two sons. And he said, what did he say? I thought this is such a contrast. Um, and the prodigal went out and he came back. And the father rejoiced, killed the calf. And the older son was, where, in the house? No. The older son, picture of the Jews, was out in the fields. He wasn't even in the house. He was separate from the father. He called a servant to him. He wouldn't go to where the father was. He called a servant to him to seek information. That's what the word is in the Greek. This is Luke 15, verse 25. The older son was out in the fields when he came home and got near to the house. He heard music and dancing. He called away to him one of the servants and asked what was going on. Your brother's come home. Your father's thrown a great party. He's killed the fatty calf because he's got him back safe and well. He flew into a rage and would not go in. Do you know what he said? Talk about this slave thing, illustration of the slave spirit. Uh, you know what he said. Then his father came out. He had to leave where he was. He had to leave the house and go out to this boy. Now this was the boy's spirit. I've been slaving for you all these years. He actually said in Greek, I have served as a slave all these years. Bingo. The prodigal son was away wasting. But when he came back, he was in the father's house as a son. And the boy said, and the, other, and the older son said, I have served as a slave. So we got this whole concept of distance, remoteness. Call for information from the father's house. Get the bloke away. The father came out of where he was to the son. Distance, slavery. And here we go. This is extraordinary. I thought it was a signal. I've been, I've served as a slave, served you as a slave for all these years. I've never disobeyed a commandment of yours. And you've never given me a young goat so I can have a party with my friends. But when this son of yours comes home, huh? Wasn't he a son? No. He, he was himself as a slave. Always done the right thing by being your slave. And this son comes home. <laughs> um, there we are. Interesting. The prodigal son, the, the Jews, not of the father's heart. And Jesus is addressing this. It's not over for them, but they had to choose. Repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Whatever you thought you were doing, whatever you've been like, repent. Line up with the word of God. Line up with heart obedience to the Father. And it'll all be alright. Would they? Wouldn't they? What were these guys going to do? Well, we might not get that far. Um... But this, Jesus said, you're trying to kill me because my word isn't advancing in you. Do you remember in Colossians it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you 
richly. The word Christ encountered opposition right away now. Something hard, a lump, a stone. Remember the power of the sower? There were four categories. Some fell by, the, fell by the wayside. Hard, trodden ground. It never even got in. And the devil came and picked it away. The sower sowed and so on to rocky ground. Matthew chapter 13. Some fell into rocky ground. And straight away it sprang forth and it germinated. But the sun came up and it died. We won't read it now for time's sake. The sun came up and it died because it had no depth of root. Why? Rocky ground. There were hard things in there. Resistant. Uh, some fell among, fell among thorns. And it sprung up and it was choked. It didn't bring any fruit to fruition. The cares of this world. Do you remember the parable? And so... Um, I guess these Jews, it sounds very much like there was hardness there. Something, there was a hard lump. They'd encountered the Jewish heart. That Jewishness of their heart is not the kind of Messiah we expected. It doesn't fit in with our Jewish religious expectations. No. And you and I, uh, it can be anything. But the, the, the Word of God comes to challenge us. No. It's not what I want. So who's going to give? Are you going to give into the word? Or are you going to be, am I going to be, are we going to let ourselves be pierced by the word? Or are we going to resist it? And not continue in it. And be rocky ground. And it hits a hard lump. And, it's, and we're irresponsive. And the, and the word, the incipient faith, fills up and dies. Because it meets our will. It says, no, I'm going to choose my carnality my aspirations, my whatever it is, over the will of God, over the righteous judgment of God in his word. Uh, but it pierces the dividing asunder between soul and spirit. What's our response? Nope. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, and I don't want to change. Or repentance. Lord, thank you for showing me what I am. Um, I know I've got to change. Change me. Uh, let your word dominate. Let your word rule. Um, I submit to you. I bow my knee. Jesus, when the children were little, we used to sing songs with them in the meeting. Jesus, at your name we bow our knee. Jesus, at your name we bow our knee and acknowledge you, our Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. James used to think it was all a bit strange. He thought it was... Jesus, at your knee, we bunny. Bunny. <laughs> but um, you can work out what it was to bunny. We <laughs> there we are. Um, we've seemed to have found ourselves in the wrong place. Here we go. So, we're in verse 37. I know you're Abraham's descendants, but you're trying to kill me. Because my word doesn't advance within you. I'm speaking of what I've seen with the Father. This is really, really important, this verse. I'm speaking of what I've seen with the Father. And you too are doing what you've heard from your Father. 
I? You. Here's a, here's a, a, a revelation about our acts. Our acts are um, <clears throat> behind our individual acts there lies concealed a permanent basis. The things that we do they come from a concealed secret spring. For Jesus it was clear and obvious. He was doing the will of the Father. For them they were doing the will of their imposter father. It's the household thing. They brought up the idea of slavery and Jesus runs with that. But you commit sin, you're a slave. You need to be set free and become a son in the house. And then he says, there, there are two spirits happening. There are two personalities the devil and the father I and my acts are actuated they are they have their spring in the will of the father your acts originate in the insinuations of your father completely different household and so we have in Colossians he's delivered us out of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love and Jesus explained to them that their acts are, are they're not originators and here we got back to what I was saying originally that we're, we're all worshippers we're not original we're all giving voice we're all giving uh, effect to the will of the actuator either the father or the devil essentially the father of the other household they were of their father the devil but it's not quite parallel because Jesus was in the light he was seeing can we just have a look I'm speaking of what I have seen with the Father. By the way, they were doing, and Jesus' works at the moment were to speak, to speak forth the truth. But he was speaking what he'd seen. He was in the light. He could see. They were in darkness. They couldn't see. All they could hear, all they could do was hear the insinuations to murder, the insinuations to lie, the impulse to do this wrong thing, to do this wrong thing, fumbling in the darkness, lots of impulses, whispered in their ear, do this, do that, in the darkness, trained by, of the spirit of their father. I didn't invent this. This is Jesus explaining to them why they can't listen to him. Okay? It's not, I'm not trying to be bigoted or different or come up with a new idea. Simply keen that we should be attentive to the things the Lord says and say, well, what does this mean for humanity? And of course, this is exactly what we have all the way through Paul's epistles. Uh, so, I'm speaking of what I've seen in the light with the Father. You? You too. You're doing what you've heard from your father. Abraham's our father, they replied. 
If you really were Abraham's children, replied Jesus, you would do what Abraham did. What was Abraham famous for? He was famous for believing God. Faith. He was famous for when the three angels came, entertaining them, um, loving them. He was famous for their affection and for his reverence and affection for the agents of God. When the angels came, he reverenced them and loved them and fed them and honoured them. When he encountered Melchizedek, the priest of God, he worshipped at his feet and gave him the tenth of all he possessed. That's what Abraham did. Anything divine, he bowed the knee to. Anything, any word of God, he A, believed and obeyed. He went out not knowing whether he left his whole family. Why? Because God told him to. He gave up his son to God. Why? Because God told him. He took his son out to slay him. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And at the last minute he stayed his hand. God didn't want him to kill his son, but he did want him to give him his all. He wants you and me to give us our all. And Jesus said, if you're Abraham's children, you'd be doing the things that Abraham was doing. Mate, you ain't Abraham's children, really. You might be his descendants, but you're not of his spirit is the point. He was using their uh, their behaviour and their nature to identify to them the gulf between them and that which is of faith. And we'll stop just soon here. If you really were Abraham's children, replied Jesus, you'd do what Abraham did. You'd receive the word, you'd be docile to it, you'd let it rule you, and you would receive the messenger of God, the oracle, the one, the agent, the one whom God had sent. You're not doing that. God is among you, manifest in the flesh, and you're rejecting me. You're not receiving my word. If you really were Abraham's children, Jesus cried, you'd do what Abraham did, but now, instead, you're trying to kill me. Me, a man who's told you the truth, which I heard from God. That's not what Abraham did. You're doing the works of your father. So he was, and so he identified to them this opposition of nature. That's why they couldn't hear, and they couldn't do. So the challenge was for them to repent of their nature. What? You mean you want me to be ashamed of what I am? That's exactly what I want you to be. Ashamed of all you have been and all you are. Repent and say, God, make me again. Make me into what I should be. Make me into that which is pleasing to you. That is the essence of repentance. That's the conviction of sin. God, I'm sorry for what I am. I'm sorry for what I've been. The very core of me is against you. Oh, God, is there anywhere? Yes, I can slay you and give you a new life. Will you let me? No, my life is all I've got. It's me, my I. I'll have to leave you then. You'll have to die in your sins. Or we can say, yes, God, whatever it costs, whatever it takes, I yield up, I give it to you. Take my life. It's worthless. It's unclean. I realize I've been everything I shouldn't be. Okay. And, that, and only God can do that for us. That bring us to that conviction of sin and baptize, and, and that, that alteration is effective by the operation of God, by the circumcision of the heart, by what the Father said was the baptism in the Spirit. 
the, the one of whom I see if the dove descend and remain, here it is, who baptizes in the Holy Ghost. So all this can come to an end. And by that mechanism, by that means, by that action of God, not of you, not of me, it's his action in response to our docility to his word, in response to our willingness. Yes, I agree. I hate me as well now. He says, I hate what you are. I love you, but I hate what you are now. And we've got to come to people, we hate me as well. I ha- Okay, I'll bring it to an end. Give you a new life. Um, had there been time, I should love to have, there is time. Isn't there? Have we got a minute? Can we read in Hebrews? I can't even see my, I don't know, if I could see it, I wouldn't know what it meant. When are we supposed to finish? Okay. Well, let's briefly look. Just to round, so we'll, we'll, leave, uh, we'll leave John here. You're doing the works of your father. And we'll, we may or may not pick him up next time. But let's just go to Hebrews 9. And we had a look at Hebrews 10 a few weeks ago. Let's look at Hebrews 9 and very much the same ideas. Um, but perhaps a bit more explicit. So we're talking about the, the, the law coming to let sin be exceeding sinful. Let them understand that they're slaves. And let them know that there's a change coming. There's a new covenant. There was an old covenant which didn't change their spirit. It revealed to them what their spirit was like. And it kept a boundary about them and limited the harm. But it didn't change their spirit. It didn't change them with any good. But there was coming a time of rectification. Where is that scripture? The time of rectification. I wrote it down. We'll come to it. And Hebrews 9, we'll just read the first 15 verses briefly. Uh, The first tabernacle had, of course, its own regulations for worship. It contained the earthly sanctuary. A double tent was constructed. In the outer one was the lampstand, the table, the presence, the bread of the presence. This is called the holy place. Verse 3. After the second curtain came the inner tent, the holy of holies. This contained the golden altar, the ark of the covenant, which was covered completely in gold. In the ark were the golden urn containing manna. They kept for years a sample of manna. There was Aaron's rod that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, which overshadowed the mercy seat. And there's much we could say about it all this, but now's not the time. With these things in place, the priests continually go into the outer tabernacle, the first tabernacle, in the ordinary course of their duties. But only the high priest goes in to the second tabernacle, the Holy Holies, once every year. And he always takes blood which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. The Holy Ghost indicates by this. What was it all about? It was a parable, guys. Holy Ghost was teaching them, it was teaching us. The Holy Ghost indicates by this that as long as the original concrete, not made of concrete, but earthly tabernacle stood, 
the way is not yet opened into the sanctuary. You can't get into God's presence. From all this external stuff, from all the religious stuff, from all the religious observance, from all the keeping of the rules, from all the blood of bulls and goats, and all the religious service, the message was, you can't come into the presence of God. The Holy of Holies, his throne was cut off. Get out, keep out, lest you die. God is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. You remember that from Mount Sinai. If they come near the mountain, they would have been pierced through, they would die. And they said, no, 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 no. You talk to God. We don't want anything to do with this. It's too much God. That was then. But that's not how it was to persist. Okay, that was verse 8. Verse 9, this is a parable, so to speak, of the present age. During this period, the gifts and sacrifices are offered, which have no power to perfect the conscience of those who come to work. They are religiously corrected, but they are left unchanged. No power to change their conscience. They're still full of sin. That's all they can think of. That I'm separate, I'm a wrong being, I'm separate from God. But that wasn't the end. There was something new coming. They only deal with foods and drinks and various kinds of washings. These are regulations for the ordering of the bodily life until the appointed time. The moment, until the appointed time, the moment when everything will be put into proper order, the time of rectification. We'll put it right! But, when the Messiah arrived as high priest of the good things that were coming, he entered not through, he entered through the greater, much superior tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not earthly. He entered the real tabernacle, and not with the blood of bulls and goats and calves. He went in with his own blood. He entered once and for all into the holy place. He didn't have to come out again. His blood was sufficient. Accomplishing a redemption that lasts forever. If there's a lot of bulls and goats you see, and the sprinkling of the ashes of an heifer, make people holy in the sense of purifying their bodies when they've been unclean, how much more will the blood of the Messiah, who offered himself to God, through the eternal spirit as the spotless sacrifice cleanse our conscience from dead works so it's something at last there is the efficacy at last for the spirits of men and women to be changed not just their external standing but that our consciences should be cleansed to cleanse from dead works to serve the living God for this reason, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. The purpose was that those who are called should receive the promised inheritance of the age to come. It is all you understand. Uh, hallelujah. And the Lord was outlining this to them. Uh, guys, you're slaves. But you can be made free. You've got to break with this Jewish party that is going about to kill me, that refuses my word. You've got to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You've got to let it advance in you, make progress. Uh, 
you'll be my disciples. If you're my disciples, truly, there's going to come a day when you know the truth and will set you free. You'll be enfranchised. You'll be uh, made part of the household of God. Oh Lord, thank you, Father. Shall we just pray a minute? Oh Father. Dear Lord and Father of mankind, forgive our foolish ways. Reclothe us with our rightful minds. In purer lives, thy service find. In deeper reverence, praise. Lord, we ask you, we thank you for pointing out to us and causing us to understand a little of all the wrongness of our ways. Thank you, Father, for granting us repentance. It's a gift of God. Thank you, Lord, for working in us and for cleansing our consciences so that we should serve the living God with an open face as sons. Oh, Father, teach us your ways. Lord, we ask you to bless the saints. Bless the saints in Margaret River. Lord, let the word of your testimony flow and be strong and run free and be out setting hearts free. Let the light of your saints shine for the glory of God. Oh Father, we love you Father and desire to learn your things. Lord, whatever it takes, make us willing to pay the price at the time. Today, tomorrow, Take up our cross daily and follow you. So, Lord, shall your name be honoured and great on the earth. Amen.